Our New Testament reading is taken from the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It is again an honor to preach from the word of God today, to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ, to study the Bible together, our source of truth. We live in a world of lies, We live in an age full of falsehood, full of deception. Satan, the father of lies, the ruler of this world, works through many means to seek to deceive us and to destroy us. We are bombarded with lies on TV, in popular culture, and on social media. We live in an era of selling the news, an era of you do you, an era where truth is subject to our feelings, and who are you to say otherwise? The church is sometimes not much different. TBN broadcasts false teachers to America and the rest of the world, encouraging us to live our best life now. Even in many mainstream churches, many of the truths that the church has long taken for granted are being called into question. The Bible is being attacked. The doctrine of the inerrancy of scripture is being denied. The Old Testament significance to us today is being diminished 
and many plain biblical doctrines are being twisted to appease the demands of our modern culture. And along with this, the pulpit is also being attacked. Many churches have abandoned the public reading of scripture, relying on verses cherry-picked by the pastor strewn throughout the sermon, often out of context. Many churches have replaced expository preaching with inspirational, man-centered messages, failing to humble the sinner, exalt the Savior, and promote holiness. Hermeneutical gymnastics are all around us. Eisegesis is rampant. These events have led to great confusion. And in response, many of us, like Pilate, are driven to question everything. What is truth? What is truth? And this is similar to the day and age in which Paul penned the letter of 2 Timothy. This was written from his second Roman imprisonment, not the first one, the house arrest, when he says in Philippians that he trusts in the Lord that he will be with them shortly. But one where he knows his end is near, the time of my departure has come. Paul writes to his beloved follower, Timothy, who is pastoring the church in Ephesus, And the church in Ephesus is facing great trouble from false teachers, described here in our text as evil people, imposters, going from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul writes Timothy under these circumstances with strong words, guard the deposit entrusted to you. And this is a strong theme in both of Paul's letters to Timothy and many of his others, guard the deposit entrusted to you. This afternoon, we have the privilege of hearing from our God who never lies. We have the privilege of opening up his word and listening to what he has to say to us. And alongside the reformers 500 years ago, we'll be studying today the doctrine of scripture, learning what the Bible has to say about itself. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we want to want you. We long to be filled with longing. We thirst to be made more thirsty still. And Father, we pray that you would give us today a thirst for your truth, that we would desire nothing more than to listen to your words of eternal life. Help us to hear your word today and obey it. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So today we're going to be studying 2 Timothy 3, focusing on verses 14 to 17. And we'll be looking at three truths that we learn about Scripture. Let's begin. Number one, Scripture makes us wise for salvation. Verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Scripture makes us wise for salvation. This is the purpose of Scripture, or one of the purposes. And the first question we should be asking is, what does Paul mean by Scripture, by the sacred writings? Because as we know, the New Testament was not canonized at this point. Many letters had been written, but to several different audiences. And although there was likely some circulation, there is no New Testament as we know it today. The Scripture that Paul refers to here is actually the Old Testament. The Old Testament is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. How can this be? And there are many passages that can help us to understand this. One is Luke 24, the road to Emmaus. After his resurrection, Jesus is walking with two men that are trying to understand the events that have just taken place. 
And in verse 25, Jesus says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Moses, the prophets, all the scriptures speak about Christ. Another passage is Acts 8, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. The eunuch that Philip is led to is reading Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch says, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And in verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And this is all throughout the Old Testament, the gospel. The Old Testament points us to the cross. It points us to Christ. And this should not take away from the New Testament, as Paul would probably say, by no means. These truths do apply to the New Testament as well. But this is the means of salvation. The Holy Spirit works through his inspired scripture, the Old and New Testaments, to save us. Scripture speaks of Christ and the good news of the gospel. The Spirit softens our hearts to be convicted of our sin and to respond to this truth, to repent and to believe, that we may have faith in Christ and thus be saved. This is a key distinction, that this doctrine is not sufficient on its own. We also need faith. Uh, verse 15 says, From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We must respond by faith to the word of God in order to be saved. We see this pattern throughout the Bible. When God speaks to Abraham, it says that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. When the Old Testament prophets speak, Thus saith the Lord, Israel's response to these prophets is what condemns them. When Jesus walks on the earth, people's response to his person and words result in their salvation or condemnation. And today, God continues to speak to us through Scripture. Romans 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We must put faith in Christ as he is revealed through the scriptures. This is truth number one. Scripture makes us wise unto salvation, the purpose of scripture. Truth number two. Scripture is breathed out by God. Verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Scripture is breathed out by God. This is the authority of Scripture. What does it mean that Scripture is breathed out by God? It means that God is the author. God is the source. God is the speaker. God is the authority. Second Peter 121, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. John Calvin says this, in order to uphold the authority of the scripture, 
Paul declares that it is divinely inspired. For if it be so, it is beyond all controversy that men ought to receive it with reverence. This is a principle which distinguishes our religion from all others, that we know that God hath spoken to us and are fully convinced that the prophets did not speak at their own suggestion, but that being organs of the Holy Spirit, they only uttered what they had been commissioned from heaven to declare. Calvin also says this, we owe to the scripture the same reverence which we owe to God because it has proceeded from him alone and has nothing belonging to man mixed with it. We see this affirmed by Jesus constantly, who's all about scripture. In his ministry, throughout his ministry, Jesus quotes, honors, and obeys scripture. To Jesus, scripture was not a vague resource that helped to guide his path. It wasn't one of many helpful influences that he surrounded himself with. He wasn't casual with it, even from a young age. We see this throughout his ministry. When the devil tempts him, he counters with scripture. When he preaches, he exposits scripture. When he's approached with various questions, he answers using scripture. When he's on the cross, bearing the wrath of God for the sins of his people, he cries out with scripture. He's all about scripture. We cannot love Jesus and forsake his word. If you love me, you will obey my commands. This is one of the pillars, if not the pillar of the Reformation, sola scriptura, by scripture alone. The conviction that scripture alone is authoritative for the life of a Christian. This is a belief that the reformers gave their lives to, to reestablish in the church at a time where tradition had been confused with the word of God. The reformers fought for the supremacy of scripture and the purity of the gospel. Martin Luther's 62nd thesis, the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. We must see scripture as our authority, the means by which God exerts his rule in our lives. We must realize that obedience to scripture is obedience to God. And disobedience to scripture is disobedience to God. Scripture is breathed out by God, the authority of scripture. We've looked at the purpose of scripture, making us wise unto salvation, and the authority of scripture that is breathed out by God. Truth number three, scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. This is the utility of scripture. In his two books to Timothy, Paul has a lot to say about the false teaching that is being brought into the church in Ephesus. We don't know precisely what this false teaching was, but Paul describes it in many ways. Myths, endless genealogies, quarrels about words, speculations, controversy, what is falsely called knowledge, vain discussion, irreverent babble. Paul is clearly not a big fan of this teaching. And through these descriptions, we learn two things about this teaching. One, it is not truthful, it's false. Myths, speculations, controversy, false knowledge. And two, it is not useful. Endless genealogies, vain discussion, irreverent babble. This teaching is neither truthful nor useful. And here in our text, Paul emphasizes that scripture is profitable. The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to an end. Calvin says this, it is unlawful 
to treat Scripture in an unprofitable manner. For the Lord, when he gave us the Scriptures, did not intend either to gratify our curiosity or to encourage ostentation or to give occasion for chatting and talking, but to do us good. And therefore, the right use of Scripture must always tend to what is profitable. What is Scripture profitable for? Paul gives us a list of a few things. This list is not exhaustive, but it is a good start. It is profitable for teaching, teaching us the gospel, theology, truth, who God is, who we are. It is profitable for reproof, showing us our sin, showing us our bad theology, showing us where we need to change. It's profitable for correction. This follows from reproof, being directed back to the right course. And it is profitable for training in righteousness, in holiness, in godliness, in obedience to Christ. How we can apply the doctrine of Scripture, training us on how to obey God's will in every area of our lives, how to work, how to rest, how to love, how to serve, how to conduct church, how to conduct family, how to interact with one another. And verse 17 summarizes the effects of these prophets. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Matthew Henry says this, That which finishes a man of God in this world is the scripture. By it we are thoroughly furnished for every good work. There is that in the scripture which suits every case. Whatever duty we have to do, whatever service is required from us, we may find enough in the scriptures to furnish us for us for it. This is the utility of scripture. So the purpose of scripture, making us wise for salvation, the authority of scripture, breathed out by God, the utility of scripture, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. How do we respond to these truths? We must be ruled by the word. Luke 5, Luke 8.15, the conclusion of the parable of the sower, which we read earlier, says this, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. To be the good soil, to be ruled by the word, we must do a few things. Number one, we must hear the word. We must listen to, interpret, understand, treasure scripture. We must be like the Bereans in Acts 17 who were noble and received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. We must hear and study all scripture, for it is all God-breathed, not just the passages we like. We must hear the word. Number two, we must hold fast to the word. Hold it fast in an honest and good heart. In our text, Paul says in verse 14, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Paul is encouraging Timothy and the rest of his audience to stand firm in the gospel, to avoid compromise, whatever the cost, to be willing to face persecution for what we believe, to say with the early church disciples, we must obey God rather than man, regardless of the consequences. Timothy was taught the word from a young age, and Paul commends his grandmother, Lois, classic grandmother name, and his mother, Eunice, for this. This should be an encouragement to the parents, to the grandparents, and the Sunday school teachers to continue to acquaint your children with the sacred writings, to raise them up to be ruled by the word. 
Your labors are not in vain. We must hold fast to the word. Finally, we must obey the word. Or as this parable says, bear fruit with patience. As Calvin noted earlier, we must treat scripture with the reverence that we owe to God. He is our king, and he exercises his rule through his word. We must not pursue scriptural knowledge for knowledge's sake, but for a purpose, to bear fruit, to do good works, to love and serve those around us. Scripture prepares us to do these things. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to shape us, to sanctify us, to transform us through his word, we will, as our text says, be better equipped for every good work. Let us hear the word. Let us hold fast to the word. Let us obey the word. Let's pray. Father, help us to say today with with Martin Luther, the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. Help us too with John Calvin treat scripture with the same reverence we owe to you, our King. Lord, give us grace today to be ruled by your word, to be people of your word, to know its purpose, its authority, and its utility, and to respond to you with faith and obedience. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.